you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But everyone who drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Joseph Scriven was sick, and people said he was depressed. His friend wrote of him, We left him about midnight. I withdrew to an adjoining room, not to sleep, but to watch and wait. You may imagine my surprise and dismay when on visiting the room, I found it empty. A search failed to find a trace of the missing man until a little after noon, the body was discovered in the water nearby. Joseph Scriven had apparently taken his own life in the night. He suffered from depression, and he might have survived had he lived in a time when physicians better understood this condition. You say, well, what's his death got to do with us? Well, he's the man who in 1855 originally wrote the words, What a friend we have in Jesus. He was 35 at the time. The love of his life that he met in college was pledged to marry him, and the day before they were to wed, she died. And he went years without a love in his life until another romance, and they too were engaged and she also died shortly before the date of their wedding. And Joseph never married. His mother struggled and suffered, and he wrote, What a friend we have in Jesus for her. In your testimony, when you tell your story, and you get to the part where you say, how's life been since I knew Jesus? I have in the parentheses in the outline you received today, it's in your worship guide, still struggling. That's you. You're still struggling. I hope you don't think that meeting Jesus ends all your struggles because you will be disappointed. And sometimes people get disappointed with life after Jesus has saved them. And they think, well, it didn't work out for me. 
Life was supposed to be different for me now that I trusted Jesus. And here I am still dealing with some of the same things I did before I met him and some new things that have come into my life. I've been surprised by the sorrows, the troubles, and the heartaches that have come. And I didn't know life would be like this with the living water inside of me. But the truth is that we who know Jesus continue to struggle. And today we're talking about your inner life. It's important for you to make the jump from the externals, like the water in the well, to what's going on inside of you emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. You have a life of feelings and reflection and imagination faith and hope and joy and these are qualities of your inner life now Jesus came to this woman at the well and he found her I think in a time in her life when disappointment had become part of her journey and alienation and perhaps abandonment. We don't know all the things that were going on inside of her. But she makes this observation concerning Jesus. Sir, she says, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. And may I just start by saying, the well is always deep. Life is always hard. If you've not encountered heartache yet, get ready. It's coming to you. It comes to all. Jesus himself said, in this life, you will have tribulation. It's a promise. The well is always deep. The woman at the well always comes to the well. Some people think the well of Jacob was half a mile from the ruins that have been excavated that they think is the village of Sychar. We don't know for sure. But I know this, that oftentimes the well is a ways from the house. Now, I thought there was a lot of water in the world till I found this picture of the earth. And the blue dot you see is all the water in, on, and above planet earth. Do you see the smaller blue dot? That's all the fresh water on planet earth. And the tiniest blue dot under it, do you see that one? That's all the fresh water in the lakes and streams of our world. If you look at a picture of our planet at night, you will see that human communities are created and gather around the water. The edges of the continents are often full of people. The rivers and the lakes 
have human communities beside them. You see, water has always been vital to human survival. I have a farm where we just found an interesting Indian artifact. It's on the perimeter of the mountain, and it is a grinding stone. And some of you have probably seen these grinding stones that they use to grind up their maize and corn. And our perplexing question is, where did this settlement get their water? If you can identify where a village in ancient times might have gotten water, then you can more easily find the artifacts because human communities must have water. It's interesting that the woman says, I want this living water so I won't have to come here. That's the trip, carrying eight pounds. Say, how much water does a human being need? Well, I got a picture of that, too. If you're a man, on average, an adult needs about a gallon of water, weighs eight pounds. A woman, a little bit less. It's how much water you need every day. I don't know if the Samaritan woman's just caring for herself or somebody else, but if she carried two gallons of water, that's 17 pounds almost. If she carried three, that'd be over 20. You're starting to see that getting the water is a little bit of a chore. The heaviest thing I pick up in the grocery store is 24 of these. Isn't that about the heaviest thing you get at the grocery store? Humans, we're still carrying water. We still do it. We carry it around with us, and we carry big packages and boxes of it as we leave the grocery stores. But the lady at the well was not only relieved if she could find this living water where she wouldn't have to come to the well, She'd be relieved, too, if she didn't have to draw the water. How many of you have drawn water out of a well? Well, we don't know how far down it is to the water table in this well. But when she dropped her bucket down there with the rope tied on it, it might have gone down 20 or 30 feet or more. And then you scoop up 8, 10 pounds, depending on the size of your container, and you go hand over hand. Sir, give me this living water so I won't have to come here and draw water. The drawing was hard as well as the transporting of that water. And it's true for you. You get up in the morning, you go about your tasks. Some of those tasks are difficult, and maybe you postpone them, but eventually they must be done. And we go through life with these chores that belong to us. And in the best of times, we remember that work was given to Adam before he ever sinned. Work was part of the world that was very good, along with marriage. Marriage and work were the two institutions that began before the fall. So in the best of times, we say, thank you, Lord, for the work I have to do in the world. And though I've got to walk half a mile to the water well and draw it up here and it wears out my arms, I'm glad to have that. 
But we don't usually conclude that our purpose in the world is to walk to the well and draw the water out. If we ask ourselves the question, why am I here? We usually don't respond with, so I can fix the car, so I can fix the plumbing in the house, so I can do better insulation in the attic, so I can get up in the morning and go to work and come back tired at night. Usually we don't conclude that the meaning of our life is simply the chores that we do. Usually there's something else going on inside that makes life worth living. Now, this rabbi who sits by the well, tired, he's the very one who said, a man's life does not consist of the things which he possesses, robe or bucket or well. Life doesn't consist of these things. And the observation the woman makes, you have nothing. You have nothing. And the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? She is under the impression that the Jewish rabbi has nothing. I want you to remember as you come to this text and other stories and teachings of Jesus, that before he was heralded as king of kings and lord of lords, before he was understood to be the Son of God and Savior of the world. By the great majority of people, he was seen as a Jewish rabbi, a teacher. A man who asked amazing questions and who gave no simple answers to the complexities of life but challenged you with responses that made you think, should we pay taxes or not to this foreign government that's conquered our land? A political question that could get him killed if answered in the wrong way, that could be fodder for his enemies. And Jesus responds with a famous quote, famous not just to people who believe in him, but to folks who do not. But like what he said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God. It is vintage Jesus of Nazareth. As you tell your story in this community and anywhere in the world, you are talking to people who often have a certain respect for Jesus of Nazareth. They may be Muslim, but they have grown up believing that Jesus is a mighty teacher and one of the great prophets. They might be Buddhist, but they see Jesus as a great teacher in morality and ethics. They may be Jewish, but they would group Jesus among the prophets of their heritage. As a rabbi, as a prophet, as a man who taught people, Jesus is famous in our world. Mostly what we are helping folks understand is that he is more than these things. 
And that's what he's doing with a woman at the well. He's helping her understand that he's more than these things. You see, Jesus never comes empty-handed. Not to this conversation, not to the preaching in the multitudes, not to the courts of Governor Pilate. Jesus never comes empty-handed. In these places where he has nothing, like here at the well or in Pilate's hall, the words that he speaks, the things that he says, come out of those places and touch the world. Jesus is the one who can give living water. He wants to turn this lady's focus from the well and the task at hand to the water that lasts forever. I enjoyed Finding Nemo, the little movie about the fish. Have you all seen it? All the grandparents have seen it, haven't you? You remember Dory who can't remember a thing? <laughs> One of the things that Dory says when they get in trouble is, just keep swimming, just keep swimming, right, Christine? <laughs> you just keep swimming, you just keep swimming. I wish Joseph Scriven, who wrote What a Friend We Have in Jesus, had just kept swimming. No, he turned a difficult, dark time in his life into permanent tragedy. You don't have to do that. Somebody in this room suffers from heartache, and you don't know if you can recover, and maybe this is the most difficult era of your life. This season of life is so hard for you. You can barely make it through, and you feel like you're at your rope's end. The darkness passes. The sorrow subsides a bit. The sun comes up in the morning. Don't make a choice in the darkness that remains a tragedy for all who know and love you. We used to sing a song, Whispering Hope. I don't know if you ever heard it. Did you ever hear Whispering Hope? Tom and I sang it as a duet. I never thought about these words in terms of depression until Janet pointed it out to me this week. Wait till the darkness is over. Wait till the tempest is done. Hope for the sunshine tomorrow after the darkness is gone. Whispering hope. Oh, how welcome your voice. Wait till the darkness is over. 
Wait till the darkness is gone. Hope for the sunshine tomorrow. Your inner life rescues you when the well feels too deep. When the chores seem too hard and the day seems too long, the inner life you have rescues you. So Jesus said to this woman, everyone who drinks of this water will get thirsty again, and we know that to be true. It's universally true. In fact, this Samaritan woman will come back to this well again tomorrow and the next day and the next day, and she will remain thirsty no matter how long the rope, no matter how big the bucket, no matter how wonderful this well, she will always get thirsty again. And you cannot satisfy your soul with a water in this well. Nor Nestle's Pure Life water or whatever brand you drink. Don't get confused between the water in the well and the water that wells up inside of you. Everyone who drinks of this water universally gets thirsty again, but whoever. In the King James Version, it has whoever both times. Whoever drinks of this water gets thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him. In the NIV, it changes the word, and it's important to change the word. Because the first whoever in the King James really should be translated something like all or everyone. Because it's the little Greek word pas. It's really an adjective. It just means all or every. All who drink of this water, and everybody drinks of the water, gets thirsty again. When you get in your lonely spot in your difficult time, you just remember all people go through this. God's not picking on you. Sometimes we think God's picking on me. God, just leave me alone. God's not picking on you. Everybody who drinks of this water gets thirsty again. But whoever, and that's a different word, and it's important to see, whoever has this sense of a personal pronoun, it's like you've got a choice. Whoever drinks of the water I give them will never thirst, but the water I give them will be in them a well of water springing up to everlasting life. I wish I could communicate with you how important it is for you to change from the view of Jesus as a Jewish man or even a Jewish rabbi to the promised one sent from God who gives his life for the sin of the world, including you. And what a wonderful, marvelous thing it is to receive Christ into your life and have in you this well of water, which is eternal in its nature as well in its, in its time, springing up to eternal life. Whoever drinks this water will never thirst. The woman says... Sir, give me this water. That's one of the two things Jesus wants her to do.
He wants her to ask for the living water because it's whoever, not everybody. Whoever comes to me, I will not turn away. Whoever asks for this water, I will give it to them. She wants the water. And the second thing is that she will know who he really is. If you knew the gift of God and who it really is who's talking to you right now, then you would ask him and he would give you living water. Now, next week, we're going to go to the next verse, which is a surprising turn in the conversation. It is the most surprising turn in the conversation. I think even surpassing his first question, will you give me a drink, which is a surprise to her. The next point in this conversation is a moment to remember because it helps her understand who he really is. She wants the water, but will she believe that he really is the savior of the world? You want the water, everybody does. Everybody wants life to be full of meaning and purpose and have a reason to get up in the morning and a mission to perform in your life. You want to find why you're here and what it is that you must do. And you find this in the one who is at the well, who's at your well, who meets you in your daily routine and calls you to himself and changes life when you receive him as Lord and Savior. Bow with me, please.